0: Welcome to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. You will be able to find more Heartland sermons at hcc.ag or Heartland Christian Center YouTube channel. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. We hope you enjoy this week's message by our lead pastor, Dr. Phil Willingham. Hey, I want you to grab your Bibles this morning. If you got your worship guide, I want you to open it up. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. We've been in a series all this year on questions that God asks. And this morning, I think we have probably the most important question that anybody could ever be asked and have the right answer. How many understand somehow the right answer is important, right? Yes. You, you, sometimes it's good to ask the right question, but you need the right answer to ask that question. Now, we have all kind of questions that we have going on in our lives so many times and you know, sometimes our questions are kind of ridiculous questions. They're kind of silly questions. Jesus never asked a silly, ridiculous question. He asks questions that cause us to reflect for a few minutes and figure out what's going on. We have questions like, if a bald person works in a restaurant, if they're bald, do they still need to wear a hairnet? I'm just, I'm just wondering. What about why do they call it beauty sleep? Even though you wake up looking like a mess. Come on, that's a pretty good question, right? Come on. Should a person who's about to be executed in electric chair, should their life be saved that they have a heart attack? I mean, what about this one? If a man writes a book on failure and it doesn't sell, does it mean he's a success? I mean, <laughs> how about this one? If you punch yourself in the face and it hurts... Are you weak or strong? <laughs> what what hair color do they put on, on the driver's license if you're bald? Now somebody after church, after the first service, they come up and they show me, "Hey, Pastor, what does mine say?" It said bald. <laughs> I love that. What what? Why do you perceive everyone driving faster than you as an idiot, and those driving slower than you as a moron? <laughs> yeah. You ever that? You idiot. What's wrong with you? One more. Why is it that lemon juice has artificial flavor while dishwashing liquid has real lemons? <laughs> I just love that. Okay. Enough of that humor. I want to take you to Matthew chapter 16 this morning. And how many understands that the way that we think about God affects the way that we respond to him, right? In other words, our theology affects the way that we live. You ask somebody today, what's your theology of God? And some people, most people say, well, I'm not a theologian. I don't have a, no, listen, everybody in this room has a theology. Theology just means, simply means, what is your concept? What is your view or what is your belief about God? Some people think that God is distant. Some people think that somehow or another that God is unconcerned. Some people think that he's harsh or that he's angry. I mean, there are some people today who still say, well, you know, Pastor Phil, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. When somebody tells me that, I said, pardon me, you're not an atheist that doesn't believe in God. The Bible says in Psalm 14 and 1, a fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And, and, and there's all kinds of concepts that people have about God, all kinds of ideas. And, and listen, what happens is they affect the way that we live. We find ourselves today living and ministering in this 21st century. And these are the days right now most people will say they, there are tremendous challenges, challenges that we face in our culture today. And I submit to you, there is challenges, but I also believe that there's a lot of opportunities in our culture today. But the question that, that Christ has offer to us today, we're going to look at it in just a minute, is a question that is important to what's going on in our culture today because many people today in our culture, they talk about in the world today that we are engaged in a war on culture. Anybody ever hear that right now? We have a, we have a war on culture that's going on today. I want to submit to you that the pastor and the pew today in America has a war that we are engaged on, but it's not a culture war, it's a truth war. It's a war based upon what is the truth and what are we living our lives after and are we living our lives according to what the Bible says. Now, there's two distinct styles of leadership that I see prevalent today. The first one is that those people who lead by public consensus We have this 21st century that many people find expedient to make decisions based upon what is the public consensus. We have things today such as political correctness or the pluralistic compromise that is a result of that. And people are making decisions, life decisions many times by putting their hand to the air and wondering which way is the wind blowing and what what does culture say the answer to this question is. We, we have it in our culture today, it's just, it's just public consensus. And here's the thing about it, that, that people who live by public consensus so many times, they, they live by their lives by simply about what, what wave is going and where, where, where does it seem like the majority of people are going. But there's a second way that people lead, and it's by personal conviction, personal conviction. Personal conviction is what you know to be true, but you just don't know it to be true. You confess it to be true. You know it in your head. You believe it in your heart. And you will confess it with your mouth. Now, here's the thing about it. The people that lead by public consensus today, they lead people where they want to go. It's easy to lead a crowd by public consensus. What is the viewpoint? What? How are people feeling today? And they get on the culture train and they lead people where this is where we want to go. People who lead by personal conviction they lead people where they need to go. Oh, I'm going to preach. Somebody going to help? I, I should have brought my horn today. I may need it this morning. I got my grandsons. Maybe they'll help me. But people who lead by personal conviction that they're men and women just like you and I, that they're leading people where not where they want to go. How many understand that sometimes your head will lead you to places that your heart will know, you will know in your heart, that's going to hurt me? If I do that, if I follow that that desire that's in my head right now, that thought, and I end up, I'm going to end up in some very destructive place and moment in time. Well, this is exactly the point that Jesus is seeking to make with his disciples. Because it's amazing in Matthew chapter 16, he's been talking to the disciples about the culture and where culture is at and being brought up. And the Bible says that, that Jesus takes his disciples away from the Galilean crowds. He moves them about 25 miles to the north by the headwaters of Jordan River near the city built in honor of Caesar, and they come to a place known as Caesarea Philippi. And, and Jesus knew the tendency that we have many, many times to leave our personal conviction, to lay our personal conviction down at the feet of public consensus. Jesus knew sometimes the pressure that we feel to just get with the flow, just follow the crowd, do what everybody else is doing. I mean, man, this is the way, this is the way the world's going right now, Pastor Phil. You, just, you need to learn how, how to relax a little bit and Don't be so hard and harsh about who Jesus is. So what's this? It's this frame that Jesus gives us in Matthew 16 and 13, and he asks us two very important questions for our consideration. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. So what do they do? They give him the public consensus. We'll talk about that. But then Jesus said, but what about you? I say, what about you? what about you? Matter of fact, I give your permission. Point to somebody and say, what about you? What about you? So what's it? He asked, what about you? Who do you say I am? Going to get personal, right? Simon Peter answered, Well, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by the flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So watch this. Let's break this down just a little bit in our conversation this morning. Who do men say I am? Public consensus. And Jesus is is wanting to know has the disciples been listening to the street talk? Okay? Have, have, do, do they have the ear to the ground to know what's going on? And immediately Jesus said, Well, who do men say that at? And immediately they start saying, Okay, well, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Now, for some of you who don't know, some of you who do, John the Baptist was somebody who came preaching repentance. There was something righteous about John the Baptist that had not been about anybody else. And most people in that culture today, that day, they sensed that there was something righteous about Jesus Christ. They sensed that there was something godly about this man Jesus. So, as as they assume... That when, when people said, Well, who is this man? Some says, Well, well, maybe he's John the Baptist because he's righteous, he's preaching repentance, and, and just maybe that's who he is. And then others said, Well, some say you're Elijah. What was it about Elijah? Well, Elijah had one true characteristic about Elijah. It was his greatness. Matter of fact, the Jews in Jesus' day, Elijah was one of the greatest prophets and teachers of their time. And Elijah was noted for his courage, and his ability to pray, remember Elijah? He prays and it doesn't rain for three and a half years. He prays again and it does rain again. So, so they, they saw Jesus. Now remember, they had sensed and saw Jesus praying, not just his righteousness. They knew he was a godly man, but they also knew that Jesus was a man that he could take fishes and loaves and pray over it and multiply it and feed thousands of people. So, so so you start getting an idea some say you're Jeremiah because he's righteous. Some say that you're Elijah because of your greatness. But then he said, Well, well, others say that you're Jeremiah. Now, what's so unique about Jeremiah is that in the Old Testament, Jeremiah was a very compassionate person. Matter of fact, he wrote an entire book in the Old Testament called The Lamentations. What was lamentation? It was his mourning, it was his weeping, it was his compassion that he felt for Israel. Now, again, people had not just saw Jesus' righteousness. They didn't see that he was a great man in prayer, but they also saw that Jesus had tremendous compassion and burden for people. They saw Jesus come to the tomb of Lazarus one day, and the Bible said, shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty what is it? Jesus what? He wept. So some are saying, "Wait a minute, maybe, maybe he's Jeremiah, maybe maybe he, he's Elijah. Some say that, well, maybe maybe he's just John the Baptist. but then others say that he's just one of the prophets. And what's it Here, here's the essence of public consensus that Jesus, by being one of the prophets, they believed. He was a godly man. He was a great man. He was a compassionate man. We we believe that he could do miracles. We believe that he had a godly life, but, but we don't quite believe that he is the Son of God. The essence of public consensus is that I submit to you, even our, uh, our Islam brothers and sisters today, they will tell you that they believe that Jesus Christ was a prophet. They don't think he was as good as prophet Mohammed, but they believe he was a prophet. But what, what they will not admit to, that he was the son of God, that he died and he rose again. They will never confess that, even though they will acknowledge he was a good man. He was a righteous man. He did miracles, but they stopped short of saying that he was the Son of God. You see, this, this public consensus still reveals today what most people think about Jesus Christ in that he was a teacher, he was a prophet, he, was, he did some good things, but, but I don't believe that he was God who come in the flesh. You see, the, the question of the public convince, uh, uh, the, the public uh, consensus, what it does, it ties to the fact that we live in this pluralistic, compromised, political correctness culture today. Is that what we will simply say is that we believe that Jesus was a righteous man. He did some good things. He was a compassionate man. He may be one of the ways to God, but we don't believe he is the only way to God. Well, good preaching, Pastor Phil, right there. Right there. I could just drop the mic and walk off from here. Because listen, we live in this pluralistic culture today, this, this political correctness culture today, this public consensus today will tell you they believe that all religions ultimately lead to the same place. Follow me? This is what Jesus is getting to here. Some say... You're John the Baptist, you're Jeremiah, you're Elijah, you're one of the prophets. Pluristic, the the, the public consensus view that you're just one of the ways to the Father. But then he comes to this question of personal conviction. What's really important. It's not can you throw your hand in the air, can you put your ear to the ground, can you flip through Facebook, can you sit in the meetings of our culture today. It's not important that you can listen and gather public consensus. We all do. We all hear what people say about God and Jesus. But what's important is what is our personal conviction? Who do you say? That I am. I don't want the word on the street. don't, don't give me what Uncle Louie's always taught you. Okay, I don't. I don't care nothing about what Grandpa said. I don't care what TV portrays Jesus as. I want to know who do you say that I am? Personal conviction. When you read the Greek in this question in the Greek the New Testament, immediately you see that you is placed in the sentence first. It it has a strong emphasis. Who do you say? What about you? Again, it's interesting to know the opinions of other people, and Jesus asked that question. But more importantly, Jesus said, I want to know, who do you say that I am? This is a question of personal conviction. The deity of Christ is at the foundation of the Christian faith. Listen. Our historical Christianity is characterized by the inclusive, uh, about the, 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 the ideal, the concept, the belief, is the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. We either believe that He is, we either accept that He is, we either confess that He is, or we fall into the idea that we disbelieve what the public consensus is. What, what, what did Jesus say? I love it. He said in John 14 and 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now, listen, them ain't my words. <laughs> they ain't Heartland's words. That ain't just part of our faith. Listen, these are the words of Jesus. He didn't say, oh, guys, listen, I want to tell you, I'm just one of the ways. I've come to show you one of the paths. He he didn't say, you know, there's other paths. It's hard to go there. No, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, listen, when we do that today, when we say that today, listen, most of us know it's like waving a red cloth in front of a raging bull. You better prepare yourself. Because most people are real comfortable sitting around the table talking about public consensus. Oh, I believe Jesus was a good man. I believe he did miracles. I believe he was probably one of the prophets. But do you believe he is the son of the living God? Note the Lord Jesus isn't asking them, what's this? He isn't asking them what they thought or what they believed. What's this? He wants to know What's your, ver- verbal, what's your verbal confession? What do you say? Who do you say, Jesus is? I submit to you, we have people sitting right here in this campus and all the other campuses and watching online. We have people that you will tell me you believe in your mind, but have you ever confessed it with your mouth? Listen. This power of confession that Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the anointed Messiah. Peter understood there's no other way home other than by you. You and you alone is who the Bible reveals that you are. Jesus said, you didn't get this by any other way. It was divine revelation that gives you this understanding. Listen, it's a bold statement today in our culture. It's a bold statement to unashamedly say that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. It's a bold statement to do that and to say that. And listen, later Peter would say this in Acts 4 and 12. Neither, neither, neither is there salvation. Everybody say salvation. Salvation neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby you must be saved. Listen, listen. Simon Peter did not allow himself to be crucified for some pluralistic public consensus mindset. The only reason that Peter could die for Jesus is he truly believed he was who he said he was. And we have to make a determination. He's either a liar, or he's a lunatic, or he is Lord of lords and king of kings. We have to make that choice. And what I love about Scripture is it brings it home right to us. Who do you say that I am? Can I do, let me just do a little side but Can I tell you something? People are always ask Oh, I wish I could understand Revelations. I wish I could understand all the seals. I wish I could send all the tribulations. Let me tell you, there's two chapters in the book of Revelation that you should read and I should read on a daily basis. It's Revelations 20 and it's Revelations 21. That's the two chapters you need to focus on. All this other stuff, it's going to happen. You, listen, I don't care whether you pre-trip, mid-trip, post-trip, things are going to get bad in this broken world. But ultimately, Revelation twenty twenty-one shows us who's really in charge. I'm about to get excited. But let me button back up or I'll settle down. Listen, I want you to listen to Revelation 21 and 7. I'm going to read you two verses. Revelation twenty-one to seven said, "He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my people." Talking about Jesus is talking about a new heaven and new earth. He's going to wipe away all the tears. There's going to be more death, no more sorrow. There's going to be no more sickness. Listen, but but, but what you hold, hold? Wait, just wait a minute. Hold it for a second. It's going to be good. Listen, but then verse eight. Listen to verse eight. Before he mentions. Murderers, immoral people, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Here's what he says in Revelation 20 and 8. But the cowardly and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the immoral persons and the sorcerers and the idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Did you notice who he put in the same category as a murderer, as a liar, as an abominable, as a sorcerer? Did you notice the very first person he mentioned is a person who is a coward? What are you being a coward about? Who do you say that I am? If you don't know what to say to that answer, if you don't know, listen, he said in Matthew 10 and 32 everyone who acknowledges me publicly on earth, I will acknowledge before my Father is in heaven. And everyone who denies me before men, I will deny before my Father in heaven. See, this is an important issue, church. Who do you say? That I am. And I believe that followers of Jesus Christ have to answer that question, not just once. We often use this as a question about salvation, but I think that we answer this question various times over our lives. Who do you say that I am? Because write this down, listen, how we answer this question, it directly affects how we live out our faith and how we live out our life. How I answered the question, who do I say Jesus is, it directly affects how I live out of my faith and how I live out of my life. For instance, I put this in your notes. If If you believe that God is a divine scorekeeper, if that's your theology of God, that God is up in heaven keeping track of all of your good deeds and all of your bad deeds and somehow or another what you're crossing your fingers and you're hoping for that one day when you die and leave this world and you stand face to face to Him that somehow or another your good has outweighed your bad. You know anybody who lives their life with that theology? Oh, I know lots of people who have this concept, somehow or another, pastor, if I can just do enough good things to outweigh all my bad things, then I'll be okay. What a horrible way to live your life. If you believe, on the other hand, that God is all accepting and all welcoming, God is this loving, waiting, patiently God up in heaven, you don't have to worry about your good deeds or your bad deeds. and You don't have to worry about pleasing God or displeasing God. Why? Because you, you got plenty of time. And even if you don't get it right on this earth, ultimately, when we get to heaven, everybody goes to heaven. Not all dogs go to heaven. Everybody goes to heaven. Whether you've been good or bad, whether you believe that you didn't. Can I tell you, there's people in in this pluralistic culture today, this public consensus mindset, that's what they believe. That's their theology of God. Somehow or another, it's not just my good deeds, my bad deeds. It's it's ultimately that God is loving and kind and patient, and and ultimately we we just all get welcomed. And what the Bible says... Or if you believe that God is distanced and you simply watching the events unfold in our world, He has very little participation or influence. How does it theology affect your life? If you think God isn't involved, He doesn't care, well, well, guess what? I see a lot of people because they think somehow or another God's far away and He doesn't love, He doesn't care, He's not interested, that they, they never spend any time asking God or praying or believing that God can help them uh, navigate through life and circumstances of life. They, they think they're just out here on their own, and you live and you die and you're done, you're death is it for you, you're not what the Bible says. You follow me? Or if you think God is a stern judge, you you avoid prayer for different reasons. If you Again, if you, if you think God is this judge who, who's making judgments about your good or your bad on a daily basis, and, and somehow or another you, you do believe that you can pray to him, oftentimes some people, because they think God is this stern judge, they won't go to God in prayer because they feel like if, if they do ask God for something and he does it, then they're going to be indebted to God. They're going to owe God. You ever, you, ever, you ever see some Christians that go to church out of indebtedness? Ooh, good preaching, Pastor Phil. While I'm here... I- i just tell you what, I, I made it through another week, and I just feel like I'm indebted to God. And, you know, somehow or another, he, he allowed. And, and we, we don't have any joy the Lord. We don't have any peace of our salvation. It, it's just like this toll and this task, and we show up, and, and we just hope that somehow or another this, this, this stern judge will, will, will give us the pass to go to the next level. That's not the relationship he designed for us. I'm just giving you some thoughts. If you think that if your theology about God is he's a loving parent, then what do you do with a parent? Well, you turn to him when you need advice or you need some help. But again, if that's your concept of God, that he's like the, you know, big parent in the sky, big daddy in the sky, big, you know, whatever, then you go to him for advice or help. But most of us know as, that, that have been parents, when kids get to be teenagers, what do they do? They just ignore our advice, don't they? When kids get a little older, they, you don't know anything. I'll make my own decision. I'll, I'll do what I need to do. And a lot of people, again, they have that concept of God that, yeah, he's there. He's sitting in heaven, and, and yeah, he cares about me. But guess what? He's too old to understand what I'm going through. So, I, Lord, you just leave me alone. I'll make my own decisions. And, I'll, you know, if, if I need your help, I'll come back. And, and usually the time when they do come back, they're already broken all to peace, Right? Our theology, it matters. What we believe about God affects how we navigate struggles, how we navigate trials. We either blame God or we think that God has somehow sent something, problem upon us, that, that God is, is doing this against us. And, and, and what happens is it, it affects everything that's going on in our lives. So, what this? Let me get back to this. Jesus knew. Jesus knew what the disciples not just believed but what they said about him would affect their lives going forward. He knew their belief about him and their confession of him, their 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 theology of him Their understanding of him, their understanding of God, it would matter because, listen, he's going to soon be crucified, dead, buried, resurrected. He's going to commission the church. He's going to commission Peter. He's like, God, I want you to go out in the world, and I want you to teach and preach, baptize in my name, in the Father's name, the Holy Spirit. I want you to take the gospel to the world. What you believe matters and what you confess matters. So Jesus sets his disciples in this gathering. He said, okay, God, let, let, me, let me ask you the very first question. It's an easy question. What, what's the public consensus? And again, I could pass the mic around this room today. That's an easy question. Who do you, who do people say that Jesus is? I guarantee you, everybody in this room, everybody watching online, all over camera, you've got some... Theology, some concept, who you've heard, what, what's been told to you, how you've been raised, what church you was raised in, what denomination you was raised got That is an easy question because you just share what you've heard. You've shared what you've heard. Ultimately, what you believe. Because you see, there was people, and say, with me, there was people who believed Jesus was John the Baptist, they believed he was uh, Jeremiah, they believed he was Elijah, they believed he was one of the prophets, they believed that, they never moved past, they heard that, and they believed that, they never moved past that. They never moved to the point where they said, Jesus Christ, you're the son of the living God. So, Jesus doesn't stop at the easy question, who do people say? He asks them the hard question, the more important question, who do you say? Watch this. Here's what He wants to happen. Every one of us, it has to happen. It has to move from here, your head, to your heart. It's about 18 inches from here to here. The reason why some people don't have a solid faith and understanding of who Jesus is is because they have never let it move from here to here and it comes out their mouth. I believe Jesus is the son of the living God. Yeah. See, why is, this, why is this theology important? Now, what's this? And so, listen, what the answer to this question is, is important, but when and where you answer it is even more important. Let, 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 let me explain for just, what the answer is, is important, but when and where you answer this question. Listen, you've got to be able to answer this question, not just in the classroom, but you've got to be able to answer it in the hospital room. You, you follow? It's a whole lot easier in the classroom. Who do you say, oh, you know, we believe Jesus is a good God. We believe he's kind. We believe he's compassionate. We believe he's great. We believe he's one of the prophets. You know, we, we, we believe you get in a hospital room and the diagnosis is not good. You're sitting there and machines are going. And the doctors went in and read you the report. Your answer to that question must be just as solid when you're at home doing your family devotions and you're having your sweet little Jesus moment. Kid, Jesus loves us all. He cares about us. You've got to have that same faith when you're sitting in a funeral home. Making arrangements for that person that you loved so much. Can I? Can I just give me a you a your take? Now, listen, it's just my thought, and I'm, I'm, I'm probably right, but that's okay if you don't believe with me. You know why I tell you. You know why I believe our culture now struggles with funerals not just in the world, even in the church, is because we don't have a good faith that's tied to the funeral home. We have faith tied to the church. We have faith tied to the good moments of life, to the healthy moments in life, to the blessed moments, but we don't have faith tied to the funeral home. And you've got to where now that people don't even have funerals no more. They die, and they just want to close the book on it and say, let's just have a memorial. Maybe we'll have a memorial week from now. Or a month from now. Doesn't really matter. Let me tell you why I think it matters. Now, this is me. And again, I'm probably right, but just okay. Just me. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying you got to have this belief. But you know why it matters? Listen, there, there's people today in our culture that they need to know when that person is lying before them or if it's just a photo. I'm not saying you don't do cremation. I'm just saying. But people in that church, in that funeral home, need to know if that person didn't accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they are doomed for hell. Yeah, come on. They're dead, and they have to stand before God for judgment. And they also need to know when that person is there and they've lived their life and they've held on and they were true. You know, I see it today. People say, I just can't believe God did answer the prayer. My mama, she was 87 years old. She always loved, it. she's 87 years old. She loved Jesus. She lived for Jesus. She fought a good fight. She kept her faith. And listen, death is not the end. It's just the beginning. And we can rejoice with that. Folks, listen, until Jesus comes, we still got to deal with that ugly monster called death. But Jesus has taken the sting away from death. You understand that for a believer? And if I can answer this question, not just in the church service when everybody's smiling and every heart is beating, but when I'm sitting alone at night... And I'm struggling to have peace because of the weight and the struggles of the problems that's going on in my life. When my theology is hitting the road, and I can say, Jesus, you're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. You see, the Bible said this, and again, I, this is not in your notes, but I want to read it to you. The Bible says in Romans 10 and 9 that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. You understand, our belief matters, but our confession matters. Will you confess in this pluralistic culture, in this public consensus mindset, will you confess in any environment that you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord of lords and King of kings? He is the Son of the living God. See, watch this. I, I got a call. Come here, Lindsay. If I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, what is he going to do? I will pray the largest prayers. You still with me, John? I will pray the largest prayer. Listen, what, what happens is, listen. If I truly believe, we we were singing a while ago about the greatness, the power of God. If I truly believe that Jesus is who he said he is, I will not pray for crutches. I will pray, God, give me wings to soar in this culture we got too many Christians today. You're just praying for crutches. God, give me me strength to hobble along. No, God, you are a great God. You are a powerful God. You are a big God. You are God. Give us wings that we can soar in this culture that we're living in today. Don't let our faith be small. Let our faith be huge. Our theology matters. What I believe about God impacts my peace. Paul tells us in Romans Romans 8, 28, that God, Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, He's working out everything for my good. If I truly believe that, if I believe He is Lord, that He's working things, I may not like the circumstances that I'm in. I I may not enjoy it, but I can rest in the fact that God is in control of my life. Too many of us only have faith if God will give us happily ever after by Sunday. <laughs> come on, you're getting a problem on Tuesday and Wednesday, and you're praying, oh, God, turn this thing around, Lord, fix this thing. And if you can get happily ever after by Sunday, you come in here, oh, well, God, answer the prayer. But if you have to walk through that valley for a few days or a few weeks or a few months, Or a few years, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God, I don't care how long you walk. you do know and you understand there is redemption coming. You hold on to that. You have that peace that passes all understanding. When I believe what I believe about God impacts, impacts my generosity. Richard Richard Foster said, money is a rival God that seeks to dominate us just like sex and fame. Money is a rival God. You you know how to let the grip of money and things and earthly possession, you know how to let it lessen its grip on you? Is to hold all your possessions, hold all of your possessions freely, with outstretched arms, remembering that God owns everything and everything belongs to him, and I'm just a steward. I'm just a steward. I owe nothing like this. And again, the reason why we struggle with our theology of who Jesus is is sometimes the people that we love, we hold them so tight. So when something happens and life happens in this broken world and they get taken away from us, God has to pry our, pry our hands off. And we walk away just sad and discouraged. God, why did you do this? Why? Without understanding that the world is his and all that is in the world is his. God, I've just been a steward of my child. I've just been a steward of this financing. I'm just a steward of my business. I'm just a steward of my my relationship. I'm just a steward of my friendship. And God, I hold everything with loose hands. Some people walk in our lives to say, some people walk in our lives and walk away. But if I have the right viewpoint of who God is, I keep going. Listen, what I believe about God impacts my desire for payback. Listen, let me ask you, is there anybody in this house besides me that you ever have the desire to get even? Remember I read to you Revelation twenty-eight and eight: all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. Who hasn't had something happen to them? Wrongly done. And you thought, God, if you just give me 15 minutes for that person, I just think 15 minutes is all I need. I'm going to get even, and I'll feel better. No, when I have the right view of God, I know what Paul wrote in, in Romans 12 and 19. He said, avenge, your, avenge yourselves not, believe it to the wrath of the Lord. Because vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Listen, we live in this broken world, and there's things that happen to some of you every week that if you live your life keeping score, if you live your life putting a little, it starts out a little dot beside somebody who did you wrong. It's a little dot. I'm just, I'm not going to remember it much, but I'm going to remember. But ultimately, those dots grow, and they get bigger and bigger. Bitterness, hatred, strife, envy, jealousy. It just starts building and growing. No, not if you learn to give it to Him. What I believe about God impacts my rest. You know, I'll submit to you, I'll be honest with you, there are times that sleep tries to be exclusive to me. Sometimes stress and worry and and the relentless pace that we keep I told somebody yesterday at that bike lesson, we, we was in South Bend and we went up the three rivers. We had about 50 bikes and about 20 bikes and networking with people, left early, got back in. I said, if, there, if there's anybody who works more, does more than this church, I'm just talking about me, I'm talking about this church. We had 10 guys to go with us yesterday and spent their entire day ministering. I don't know who it is. This church is about, not only us getting to heaven, but who can we take with us? Yeah. On, amen. And there's times that God has to remind me that He's in charge and I'm not. Yeah. And every and listen, every time I I just kind of switch and I, I, I come back to His sovereignty and His lordship. Who do you say that I am, Phil? Lord, You're Lord. You're God. You're You're in control of everything. I'm reminded of Psalms 4 and 8, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. When I do that, when I unload, I'll go to bed, and, and, and Sister Rhonda would tell me the next morning, she said, how do you sleep? I said, I slept good. She said, "You went to, your head hit the pillow and you was gone. Well, as soon as I got rid of all that garbage and junk, I just slept. He gives his beloved sleep, right? You understand that? And some of you who are struggling with sleep right now, I guarantee you, you're struggling with sleep because you're trying to think you're God and you're not. You're trying to think you're in charge. You're not. You think you can control things. You can't. It's the sovereignty of Jesus Christ, His Lordship. Lord, I believe what I believe about God impacts my ability to forgive myself. Everybody in this room, we've we've failed at times. But what happens is is that understanding His forgiveness in my life that keeps me from wallowing in that failure or rehearsing that failure time and time again. I can let it go. Lastly, what I believe about God, my theology about God impacts my worship. The Apostles' Creed is something that we don't do much in the Protestant church. Catholic Church does it. We, we had some people in the early service, they used to be Catholic. But the Apostles' Creed basically talks about the sovereignty of God. All through the Scripture, the Scripture reveals the sovereignty of God. Here's the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, Born of the Virgin Mary, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, was buried, and he had descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended to heaven, is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting amen it's the sovereignty of god it's a repeated message throughout the word of god from him through him to him all things to be glory forever and ever paul said in romans 11 and 36. so i worship in my quiet time in my personal time I worship when we gather weekly, not because I feel like worshiping, not because I just got a song immediately. Listen, I worship because I understand the sovereignty of God. I understand that He's in charge, that He is in control today. I understand He deserves my worship. Who do you say I am? Some of you are good at giving the public consensus what you've heard Jesus said what will you say about me you say the day will come and we're going to have to confess we've always thought in America that we would not have to see tremendous heartache or tribulation we're not quite sure anymore. We know what the Bible says. We know that God's going to always take care of his people. But it doesn't mean that you're going to have to stand before a firing squad and confess Jesus is Lord. It might be you just got to get a personal testimony around the water cooler. When everybody's given their public consensus, of who God is, and what's happening, and why it's happening, and where is God at. It just might be around that water cooler that you'll confess, I believe that Jesus Christ is a son of the living God. And I know he's in charge, and he cares, and he loves, he wants to save and he wants to redeem. Now, you can try a lot of different ways, but there's just one way to the Father. Come on. you believe that? I want you to stand with me. i got to quit. My time's getting up. If you confess with your mouth, if you believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth, if you believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord. Sounds simple, doesn't it? Sounds simple. But has it moved from here to here? Is it a heart confession? Lord, I believe without you, I'm lost. God, I believe without you, I am doomed for eternal separation and destined for hell. God, without you, I have no salvation. I have no hope of eternal life. Without you, I have no hope of seeing my dad one day and seeing my grandmother one day. Without you, I have no hope of spending eternity with you. God, I confess and I believe with my heart that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And God, I pray for this church, Lord, that we can have that confession and that belief. God, not just in our heads, but God, have it in our hearts. Thank you, Father. This morning, I walked into our men's Bible study. Paul, with has been leading. Guys just there sharpening each other. And Paul gave me an illustration. Paul, if you don't mind, I want to share this. This morning when he's putting on his pants, he missed the first belt loop. And guys and girls, if you know if you wear pants, if you miss a loop, your pants just don't fit. They might stay up. They might look okay from a distance, but you know they don't feel right. And you know ultimately they're not going to do the work that it needs to do. And in order to do that, you have to take the belt off and go back and start from the first loop and start over again. And what he said the Holy Spirit spoke to him about that is that so many times that's the way a lot of people are. They want to jump ahead of the very first important step and they want to go ahead and loop themselves in without the very first important step is do you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord? I love the fact that people can come to this church and you can come out of denominations, you can come out of other religions, you can come out of nothing. I love the fact that you feel safe at this place. But what I also do not want to see happen in this church or it like happens so many places, so many times people will come out of an immoral lifestyle. They'll come out of bad behavior. They'll come out of destructive behavior or our decision. And they jump right into church thinking that's what's going to make them better. Church doesn't save us. Jesus is what saves us. Come on, you believe that? He's our Savior. And while I'm glad it can start in church, listen, the first loop is Jesus. Will you confess with your mouth? Will you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord? That's where it starts. Thank you for listening to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. If you would like to partner with us and give, please go to hcc.ag and click to give tab. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. Also, if you have a prayer request or want to contact Heartland, please email us at pastorphil at hcc3d.com. Have a blessed week.